Our Hebrew scripture lesson this morning comes from Isaiah, the 11th chapter, verses 1 through 10. This morning I'm going to be reading from the message translation. A green shoot will sprout from Jesse's stump, from his roots, a budding branch. The life-giving spirit of God will hover over him, the spirit that brings wisdom and understanding, the spirit that gives direction and builds strength, the spirit that instills knowledge and fear of God. Fear of God will be all his joy and delight. He won't judge by appearances, won't decide on the basis of hearsay. He'll judge the needy by what is right, render decisions on earth's poor with justice. His words will bring everyone to awed attention. A mere breath from his lips will topple the wicked. Each morning he'll pull on sturdy work clothes and boots and build righteousness and faithfulness in the land. The wolf will romp with the lamb. The leopard sleep with the kid. Calf and lion will eat from the same trough and a little child will tend them. Cow and bear will graze the same pasture. Their calves and cubs grow up together and the lion eats straw like the ox. The nursing child will crawl over rattlesnake dens. The toddler stick his hand down the hole of a serpent. Neither animal nor human will hurt or kill on my holy mountain. The whole earth will be brimming with knowing God alive, a living knowledge of God ocean deep, ocean wide. On that day, Jesse's root will be raised high, posted as a rallying banner for the peoples. The nations will all come to him. His headquarters will be glorious. It must have been 20 some odd years ago, I was um, going through the airport and going through security and I saw ahead of me in line, Dr. Cornell West, who is one of the great prophets of our time. Uh, he is he is a professor that has taught at Harvard and at Princeton and one of the great um, followers of Jesus. And I had just heard him talking about uh, him claiming, he said, you know, I am a prisoner of hope. And I said to him, Dr. West, I really like your, your line, a prisoner of hope. That's such a wonderful turn of phrase. And he looked at me and he said, yeah, that's a good line, isn't it? And, and what I didn't realize until afterwards was that I was giving him the credit for coming up with the term prisoner of hope when it's actually scripture. <laughs> and he didn't have the heart to say to me, well, it's really not my line. It's, it's from Zechariah. It's an, an obscure reference that the prophet Zechariah makes. I'm a prisoner of hope. And the more I think about that, we from the Judeo-Christian tradition are all prisoners of hope. We can't help but hope. The whole message of the good news of God's love is hope. That God is in our midst always bringing us forward, always bringing us towards a, a better community. The early church realized that there were steps towards hope as well as steps towards despair. You've heard me preach about this. In, in the third century, there were some Christian communities that would gather around in a circle, hold hands with one another, and take three steps forward 
and two steps back, and then three steps forward, and then two steps back. It was, if, if they stayed with that, they would make it all the way around the sanctuary. It's a metaphor for Christian history. We get it, and then we backslide. We, we get it, and then we forget it. We're faithful, and then we're not faithful, but ultimately, we're moving forward. It's probably true with all of human history, but it's certainly true of Christian history. We're people who are prisoners of hope. Hope is not the same thing as optimism. Optimism is looking at the landscape and saying, things look good. Hope is looking at the landscape and saying, things do not look good, but God is with us, and God is going to help us take the next step. Hope is defying the realities that we see and saying God is with us and God is going to bring us to a new and better and more just place. Isaiah in his context, knowing that the glory days were seen by some as behind them, the majesty of the Davidic line was apparently over. The people of Israel were in exile. Their their glory days were over. And they were pining for the glory days. They were longing for... Do you remember? Do you remember the days of King David? Do you remember how good it was? Do you remember how magnificent the temple was? Do you remember the city of God? Ah. And Isaiah says to his people then, out of the stump of Jesse shall come a shoot. You may ask, who is Jesse? Jesse was King David's father. What Isaiah is saying is that, yes, we grieve the days when David was on the throne, when we had it all good and magnificent and majestic. And it looks like the family tree has been cut off. It looks like the family tree is no more. It looks like there's just a stump left of David's royal lineage. But there will come a shoot that comes out of the stump of Jesse. And there will be a branch that comes out of the roots of that stump. Now we Christians believe that that shoot That branch is the long-awaited Messiah, Jesus, the Christ. And when that stump bears the fruit of a shoot, then animals that we understand now to eat each other will not eat each other anymore. Domesticated animals and wild animals will dwell together. We'll lie down together. We'll eat together. We'll not eat each other. When that stump bears the fruit of the shoot, a peaceable kingdom will happen where the hunted and the hunter are no longer bloodthirsty or fearful of each other. They come together. 
This is the hope of the peaceable kingdom. This is the hope that we as followers of Jesus have, that Jesus is about bringing this vision, this hope of a peaceable kingdom to the reality of our world. It may not look like that in the landscape that we see, but we are prisoners of hope who have been given a vision of what it looks like when the animal kingdom comes together. Do you hear God's desire for all of creation? And do you hear the image of death and resurrection? That stump looked quite dead. And out of that dead stump comes new life, a shoot, a branch. Some of you are in small groups this Advent, and you are unpacking some of the artwork of John Auguste Swanson, who is a brilliant artist. One of his depictions of the peaceable kingdom of Isaiah is this. He's an artist in California. His mom was Mexican. His dad was Swedish. And he brings together the vibrant colors of of Mexico and some of the folk art of that region of the world and tells the story, tells the gospel, tells the Hebrew scriptures. If you walk down this hall today, you will see some of his art displayed uh, across the, the board over the desk down this hall. This is the peaceable kingdom. Do you see the animals, the hunted and the hunter, the predator and the domestic animals all dwelling together? One of the more famous artists of this peaceable kingdom motif is Edward Hicks. Edward Hicks, uh, in the 19th century, painted the peaceable kingdom. Edward Hicks was a Quaker pastor. How many of you have seen this before? A good number. I learned recently that in his depiction of the peaceable kingdom, he didn't paint it just once. He painted it 62 times. (laughs) Each of them a little different. The 62 times I find significant. The peaceable kingdom is never done. It's never perfect. It's always fragile. It always falls apart. And we, as prisoners of hope, are called to rebuild and rebuild and rebuild the peaceable kingdom. We are called to reinvest and reinvest and reinvest in the peaceable kingdom because it's never fully done. It's always falling apart. It's always very fragile. Here's another depiction. I like this one where the the animals have these wide eyes. Can you see the wide eyes in the back? It's almost shock. Maybe they're shocked at, hey, We're supposed to be eating these other animals, but for some reason we're not. Or maybe they can't even believe that this peaceable kingdom is possible. Or maybe their eyes are wide as in ancient iconography in Christianity. It was to see something that God sees. You can see in the background here, William Penn one of the great Quaker leaders of the 1700s, 
talking with Native Americans. One of the early descriptions of the peaceable kingdom, European Americans, Native Americans coming together to respect one another, to honor one another's cultures. Let's go to the next one. In the background here, you can see the scriptures, peace and goodwill to all. Let's go to the next one. The last one we'll put up here for today. This is only five of 62. But you can see that the Christ figure, a child shall lead them, is in the background. And in the foreground are these animals. As if Edward Hicks is saying, God cares as much for the creation as for the two-legged upright people. And maybe the animals will get it first and will teach us what it is to live in harmony, what it is to create the peaceable kingdom. We are a people of death and resurrection. We are a, are a people who are prisoners of hope, trusting that God is always going to bring something new out of what may look dead. God is always going to bring hope out of what may look despairing. You ever lose faith in humankind? You ever get hurt by someone and think, I am never going to get close to anyone again for fear of being hurt? That may be wisdom if we're in relationships that are not good or not healthy or that are threatening. We may need to listen to that inner voice. But let's not give up hope that God longs for all human beings a love, a tender shoot that can come out of a dead stump. And we as prisoners of hope and people of death and resurrection, we're called to invest in little ways. Mother Teresa used to say, do little things with great love. Let me tell you a brief story. I'm going to close with this. I was shopping this week at some Christmas store. I needed extra lights because there was a, a, a strand of lights that in our house needed a, a, a new set of replacement bulbs. I thought, well, a Christmas store should have that. I went and I was shopping. And, and about two aisles away, someone else was shopping. And, and there, were, there was this kind of frenzy and a buzz around. And I heard her sneeze two aisles away. And I looked down, and she looked up. And I, I, I didn't plan this. I said, God bless you. It wasn't a bless you. It was a God bless you. And she looked back at me from two aisles away, and she said, Thank you. And we had this I thou moment. We were of different generations. We were of different ethnic backgrounds. We would probably never see each other again, but we had this moment of me blessing her and her receiving that blessing. I've got to tell you, I don't do that every time I hear somebody sneeze. 
Maybe I should. Because something holy happened two aisles away, and it lasted a second, and we were on with our shopping. But it changed me. And it made me look differently at everybody in that store. That perhaps everybody in that store needed blessing as well. And so I started breathing. You remember last week we, we, we talked about the breath prayer, breathing peace on someone. Breathing the peace of God in and breathing the peace of God out. And it may not change the world, but it may keep us grounded. It may keep us focused on who we are in Christ. And so people of hope, maybe this week, we breathe in God's hope. and We breathe out God's hope. A hope for peace between people. Peace between creatures. Peaceable kingdom in our broken and hurting world. Maybe we'll find ourselves in situations that may look hopeless. We may see people in our own families or in our own neighborhoods or workplaces or in stores or on the road that are bereft of hope. And maybe God is empowering us to be the ones to breathe in God's hope and breathe out God's hope for all people. And all of creation. Take a deep breath with me and breathe in God's hope. Don't worry about if you're making a sound. And breathe out hope. Breathe deeply. Breathe in God's hope. And breathe out God's hope. This may be one way where we begin to breathe God's peaceable kingdom into our circle and into the world. May it be so for you and for me and for all of creation. Amen.